This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to The Health Report with me, Norman Swan. Today, the genetic mutations that see cancer risks cascade through generations of families. I was like, how does a 14-year-old child get a, a second primary cancer? You know, this is not a spread. That doesn't happen. There's obviously something more going on. It's sort of, you know, I think it's there every day. It's like you look in the mirror and you see scars from surgeries you've had. I don't think I don't go a day without thinking of it. More than two decades ago, a major milestone in cancer was reached with the discovery of the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2. Inherited mutations to these genes can dramatically increase the risk of developing breast and ovarian cancers. This knowledge opened up new ways of knowing who is at risk of cancer, how to treat it, and even how to prevent the cancer ever happening in the first place. Since then, many more inherited gene mutations have been found linked to other types of cancer. What does this mean for the families that have seen generations of loved ones endure sometimes multiple cancers? And the emerging frontier in medicine trying to change that. This feature has been made by Sarah Seji. Addie was, um, wow, she was an incredible um, young child, very, very bright, very, very beautiful. I know a lot of parents say that about their children, but she she truly was. She had a zest for life and um, that all came crumbling down when she was just nine years old. Michelle Brady remembers how brave and selfless her daughter was as she went through treatment for a rare form of bone cancer. Her tibia had to be removed and was replaced by a prosthetic bone in her leg. And there were months in hospital having chemotherapy. Michelle says her daughter adapted, recovered and continued to live her life fully and joyfully. I call it like a blip in her life and, you know, life would carry on. Um, and it did. And then um, when she was 14, she got up one morning and just out the blue, there was no signs of any of this. You know, this was five years on um, from her first cancer. She was um, unable to speak and she had a, a, a seizure and she was rushed to hospital by um, an ambulance. And in a couple of days after that, we were advised that she had an inoperable brain tumour treatment was only available to extend life rather than save life um, which was incredibly hard for us as parents to hear. Michelle Brady knew something more was going on. It didn't make sense that her young daughter could have two different cancers in such a short time. And deep down I, I know even at 14 Addie knew the seriousness of cancer because at nine years old she had experienced it. She'd seen children that she'd been on the ward with lose their lives to cancer. So she knew. And she knew that a brain tumour was, was really, really bad. And during the time before we did lose her, she asked me probably twice, am I going to die, Mom? And it was probably the toughest questions I've ever had to answer. Um, but I think deep down, Addie knew where it was going. And especially the last few months of Addie's life, the cancer really became quite brutal. It moved her spine, so it it ended up taking her mobility. Um, it then started impacting her sight. Trying to get on top of the pain for Addie was very, very hard. 
and it was brutal. I, I saw a change in her. I, I wouldn't say personality. The personality was always there and it was always trying to break through and shine through. But it, it became a tough fight for her because trying to deal with living with pain constantly was a struggle. And, and you saw it started to have the impact on her um, and the bright, beautiful Addie that we knew started to change. And that was heartbreaking to watch her experience that and fuss watching her go through it and not being able to do anything about it. Addie died in February 2018. She was only 16 years old. When Michelle tells me about her daughter's warmth and radiance, she says her daughter wouldn't want her to be sad. She'd want her family to continue to love life as much as she did. Michelle's instincts about the cause of Addie's cancer had been right. After Addie had been diagnosed with cancer a second time, Genetic testing revealed she had Lee-Fraumini syndrome, or LFS. It's an inherited mutation to the TP53 gene. The gene is known as the guardian of the genome because it stops cancers from forming. But for people with LFS, this process goes awry and the gene can't always stop cancer from forming. It leaves people at risk of multiple cancers. Discovering this mutation can have generational consequences, as it can be inherited. But in Addie's case, she had what's known as a de novo mutation, meaning the first person in the family to have the mutation. Uh, so, so did you see it? Um, I will do a combination testing, yep. uh, actually. Uh, so we are, I will uh, seed, uh, see what I'm doing a cell line. In a Sydney lab, researchers are using tumour cells from children with cancer to see what drugs they respond well to. It's just one part of the emerging field of precision medicine, a growing frontier in cancer treatment. Really, our vision is that one day there will be a, a time when children do not have to be treated for their cancer. And that's what we're, you know, that's what my team is really working towards. Dr. Mark Panisi is the team leader of personalised medicine at the Children's Cancer Institute. His team is looking at what inherited and de novo gene variants some children are born with that put them at risk of cancer. If we can identify those kids who are at risk of cancer, then in the future we might be able to have drugs at hand that we can give these children, relatively minor drugs that they can take that will take away their risk, that they just don't develop cancer at all. And that, for us, is the ultimate goal and so much better than a cure. For all cancers, whether beginning in childhood or adulthood, there are genetic changes that occur. And usually factors like lifestyle and the environment are involved too. But here we are talking about cancer-causing gene changes that are inherited, not acquired, Having an inherited gene mutation is not a guarantee that cancer will develop, but it does put people at much higher risk, often at a younger age. The type of mutation determines how high that risk is. Inherited genes are behind 5-10% to 10 of all cancers. Precision medicine is maturing. So the idea was in the start, we look at a tumour, we find out what makes that tumour tick, and then we find the drug for it. I think now we're starting to look even broader and we're starting to understand, well, the tumour is only part of the story. What genes was that child born with? That's also important. Can we bring information from that in 
to better treat the cancer as well. And I think more and more we're seeing that that's the case. That looking together in a holistic way at what a child's born with, what is going on in their tumor, and how we can target both aspects of that is the way to the best outcomes. Researchers like Dr Mark Panisi have high hopes of what precision medicine can do for those born with cancer risks. For some people, it might mean knowing what drug to give them that will respond well to the mutation they have, to either treat a cancer or stop it forming in the first place. For others, it could mean preventative surgery, like some women with BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations, for whom a preventative mastectomy and removal of their ovaries can reduce the chances of breast and ovarian cancer developing by up to 95%. Whatever the age of the patient or the cancer type, treatment would be targeted and personalised. For children with cancer, it would be an enormous leap in how things are done. Currently, treatment for childhood cancer is often harsh and unspecific because much of the research on treatments to date has been done on adults. Very sadly, many children who survive cancer uh, do so with long-term side effects. Uh, and these can be lifelong uh, effects on their fertility, on their growth and development, on their learning. And we, much as much as possible, uh, trying to minimise that, and, and we honestly are finding that if we can find targeted treatments, we, we believe that that will minimise side effects as well. Another tool being used for people at high risk of cancer from inherited mutations is surveillance. That's following up people to see if there's been a reoccurrence or a new cancer that's developed that could be treated early. But it's a double-edged sword. We started that program a number of years ago. At this stage, it's, it's proving to be a very successful program in which we have been able to pick up an, a number of diagnoses at a very early stage. And uh, I think we're, we're very confident that that's made a big difference. In cancer land, we, we tend to call it scanxiety, but we have to think of it as a blessing that we know about it. Across multiple states in Australia right now, a clinical trial known as SMOC is being run. It's using MRIs and other surveillance for people at high risk of developing cancer, particularly multiple types of cancer like those with Lee-Fraumini syndrome. Professor Paul James is a clinical geneticist and the director of the Familial Cancer Centre at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and Royal Melbourne Hospital. In the past, people have always looked at uh, uh, Lee-Fraumini syndrome uh, as a situation where the risk was very high, but there wasn't an awful lot that we could do about it because it was a complex risk that involved lots of different types of cancer. And, but this, this trial has really showed that actually there, there's a lot more that we can do. And if we take a very active approach, we can actually make a difference, even in, in a condition that has such a high risk as, as Lee-Fraumini syndrome. There used to be a view in medicine that knowing these genetic risks was often futile because not enough was known about how to prevent or treat associated cancers. But Professor James says that's shifting and he's optimistic about where precision medicine is heading. In the past, we just didn't have enough 
uh, information or awareness of, of the people who were at risk in the population. And so there wasn't much we could do because it was, it was really beyond us to identify that risk. Now we have the tools to identify it. I, you know, I think that fatalistic view uh, has really been replaced by a view that uh, if we in, in know who's at risk, then there's, there's much more that we can do and uh, there's opportunities in, in every situation. Sometimes those, you know, the implications are, uh, you know, quite confronting. Um, but uh, in comparison to simply saying, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, some people will develop that cancer in childhood and, and you know, and that's just the way it goes. I think, you know, we've definitely moved on beyond that point and there's really no, no type of cancer where we would say, oh, well, you know, uh, we can't really tackle that. Uh, they're all situations now where we'd say if we have the right information and we understand the genetics, then there's definitely more we can do. When I first found out, it was... Um pretty hard to take. I was absolutely devastated when um, I found out um, that I actually had it because it was actually a, um, it's quite a very rare mutation. And because I've already had cancer three times already, it was sort of like a real kick in the guts to me. Like, wow, now I've got to worry about, you know, so many more cancers. Anna Murphy lives with a mutation to the BAP1 gene, it's rare and puts her at risk of multiple cancers. Anna has already had cancer three times, but none were related to her inherited BAP1 gene mutation. I have got a son. Um, he was only six years old when um, I was first diagnosed with cancer and he sort of lived through all three cancers with me, you know, saw his mother sick and, and all the rest of it. And... Um, when I was diagnosed with this mutation, I said my biggest fear was that my son was going to have it and um, unfortunately he does have it. But, I, um, you know, like I said to him, we have to think of it as a, a blessing that we know about it and that, you know, we're both being tested for everything. You know, I've got to be thankful that we know about it so that, you know, we're constantly being screened. So if something does turn up, or, you know, reappears somewhere, it will be caught early. Anna is part of the SMOC trial and has yearly full-body MRIs. If a cancer is there, the hope is it'll be picked up and treated straight away. While she's grateful to be part of the trial, the constant threat of cancer weighs heavily on her. Every time I have a, a scan in Cancerland, we, we tend to call it scanxiety. You, you know, you've got a test coming up and then, uh, you know, you don't get results obviously straight away. So it's always there. I mean, it's always going to be there, that anxiety or just in the back of your head, like, oh, well, what if it's come back? Or um, I don't think it just ever goes away, just the the constant fear of recurrence. And that it gets probably a little bit easier, but I don't know. It just finds a way to still stay in there. Don't worry. How often do you think about cancer? Oh, wow. Well, it's sort of, you know, I think it's there every day. It's like you look in the mirror and you see scars and, um, you know, you see scars from surgery, you, surgeries you've had or, or, you know, it's just I think it's something. I don't think I don't go a day without thinking of it, I think, to be honest. Um, I think it's just part of me as much as I don't want it to be part of me it's just been such a big part of my life 
that it's not something I can just switch off. Um, I can, you know, control it. It doesn't overwhelm me and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just something that you're reminded of every day when you look in the mirror. You're listening to The Health Report on Radio National. This is a special feature on the genetics of cancer. I'm Sarah Seggi. Most cancers are acquired, brought about through damage to a person's cells, say from smoking, other toxins or lifestyle issues. But these inherited mutations, while less common, can have devastating effects on generations of families. So how would you know if you're at risk? The standard way of thinking about uh, identifying people who might have an increased risk based on a genetic cause is to think about family history, and that's still a very good guide. As useful as knowing your family history is, Professor Paul James says it's only part of the picture. It only picks up about half of of the people who carry an underlying gene mutation, and that's just because uh, some people don't know their family history, some people's families aren't that large, and so there's really not been much of a chance for a family history to occur. And uh, in some cases, these are uh, cancers which, uh, for instance, the case of uh, ovarian cancer or breast cancer, uh, they're male or female specific. And so um, if it's come down from the other side of the family, so if you have a breast cancer gene coming down from the male side of the family, the, the family history may not be there. The type of cancer and age of onset can also offer insight as to whether an inherited gene is behind it. And so these days we're also focusing a lot more on particular types of cancers, uh, things like uh, people who have a diagnosis at a young age, and those can also be really good clues about who we should be uh, offering genetic testing to. And even there's there's a, um, a lot more interest now in offering this type of testing quite widely, maybe even as, as a screening test in the population. And there's been some uh, good studies that have looked at how this would work if we were to offer the testing to everybody as part of a plan to, to work out the right recommendations for people in terms of screening and, and follow-up into the future. And so it may be that the, as the genetic testing becomes more available, we can start to think beyond those standard risk factors like family history and age and start to think about you know, using it for, for nearly everybody to work out your underlying cancer risk. Learning you have an inherited mutation can be confronting. While some mutations may only raise your risk slightly, others mean the likelihood of cancer is very high. One of the essential sources of information, advice and support for those affected is a genetic counsellor. We talk about um, how they can manage those cancer risks. So for some people that might mean thinking about having risk-reducing surgery. For other people, it might mean attending regular screening, cancer screening. Dr Laura Forrest is a Senior Research Fellow and Genetic Counsellor at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. She's done extensive studies into people's experiences living with hereditary cancer risk. Young people who have hereditary cancer syndromes will engage in cancer screening because it offers them a sense of control and it can offer them a sense of hope as well, um, some peace of mind over the, this threat that they may develop cancer. Um, and we heard from our research that a lot of young people thought this is really their best shot at controlling their health with regard to this hereditary cancer syndrome. But some people also commented that on the flip side, there's this real tension. They engage in this screening, but for some cancer syndromes, likely for Armini, they actually have no other options. It's screening or nothing. 
for some of them, they actually felt that they'd lost control because that was their only option and they, they, didn't, they couldn't choose anything else. She also knows through her work as a genetic counsellor and through her research how difficult some decisions around cancer prevention can be, like for those women for whom a mastectomy will give them their best hope of stopping breast cancer. They are huge surgeries and they really can't be underestimated. Young women who choose to have a bilateral prophylactic mastectomy tend to have very little tolerance for their cancer risk. Um, So a lot of young women will choose to have this surgery because they just want to rule out breast cancer completely and they're willing to engage in this big surgery because they just they want to be there for their children. They want they they talk about wanting to be alive for their children. Um, many of these young women, because their family histories are riddled with their previous um, female relatives who've gone on to develop breast cancer, and often had really bad outcomes. They want to do everything within their power to not develop breast cancer because they want to be there for their children. They want to be there for their children growing up. CDH1 is another hereditary mutation that puts people at risk of diffuse stomach cancer. It's not an easy cancer to pick up early, so those with the mutation may choose to have their stomach removed to prevent cancer. It's a life-altering surgery. Uh, Clinical guidelines recommend that young people have that surgery if they have a CDH1 gene change. They're recommended to have gastrectomy between the ages of 20 and 30 years of age. Now, the consequences of the surgery can include things that can really impact your body image, it impacts the way you eat, um, and of course food is so involved in how we socialise. It can have really far-reaching impacts, and yet people with this CDH1 gene change will choose, will still choose to have this surgery where they have their entire stomach removed. Again, to make sure that they're there for their children, that they're alive for their children. I mentioned earlier in this program that one of the goals of precision medicine for those who have inherited risk and go on to develop cancer is to find a drug or drug combination that their particular cancer will respond to. Professor Paul James says a phase three clinical trial known as Olympia has had some of the most promising results for women with breast cancer. Olympia was a a very exciting result. Uh, It was looking at individuals with this type of breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer, uh, and it was looking at the idea that an underlying gene mutation in in BRCA1 or BRCA2 could help guide the uh, treatment for those types of cancer, and the the outcome was very successful. They were were trialling a a drug called Olaparib, which is a, a, a targeted therapy which is uh, designed to um, expose a a vulnerability in the cancer which occurs because it has an underlying gene mutation in BRCA1 or BRCA2. And what they showed that is if that genetic fault was there in in the gene in either uh, an inherited form or if it even had just occurred in the cancer itself, then uh, Olaparib was a very successful treatment uh, and and was amongst the most successful trials that that there has been in the last few years for breast cancer. So a very exciting result and one which is likely to have a a big impact on the way that uh, breast cancer management is done in the future. And that's a good example of of 
uh, how important this genetic information is becoming, not just for the traditional reason of, of trying to identify individuals at high risk, but also even once a diagnosis occurs, uh, increasingly the genetic information plays a big role in uh, working out what is the, the best treatment for that person uh, and targeting specific uh, aspects of their cancer. And that's an area that's advancing very quickly and is, is likely to apply to more and more genes into the future. The discovery of the BRCA1 and 2 gene mutations more than two decades ago was just the start, Professor James says. As more genes have been discovered, more possibilities for treatment and prevention have followed. But precision medicine is really still only in its infancy. There's still much to learn. Uh, there's nothing more personal to you than your own genetic makeup and everybody's genetic makeup is, is unique. And uh, using that information to work out in what way uh, uh, your own requirements in terms of, of both preventative measures, things that, to reduce your risk of cancer, and then if you have a diagnosis in what way your genetics informs the best treatment for you, that's a, a, a really a key part of the idea of, of targeted therapies or, or targeted screening programs that are actually uh, designed, tailored towards exactly what you need based on your uh, underlying genetics. And so you'd, you'd hear a lot about personalised programs that include a number of different elements, but genetics and or genomics, which is looking more broadly at every variation uh, right across your genome, those are things which are really core to the idea of personalisation and precision medicine. Right now, much of what is known about hereditary risk focuses on single gene mutations, Professor Paul James says researchers are also turning their attention to how multiple genes interact with each other. Just at the moment, we're at the point where we're starting to really think about even more complex uh, genetic risks. So instead of uh, the risk being due to one large genetic uh, fault that occurs in a single gene, we're starting to think about the way that um, genetic variations across the, the genome start to interact with each other and can uh, cause their risk by uh, um, being added up together. So a compound effect where all the different genetic variants actually come together to produce the risk. So it's not any one variant that's important now. It's it's all of the it's the burden of different variants that come together to cause the risk. And that's uh, a type of testing that would allow us to really offer uh, genetic testing to anybody and provide a, an assessment of their risk. And that's known as polygenic risk. And that's just starting to come through now as something that we're beginning to uh, be able to look at, at least in the research setting. And so we've got a number of trials looking at both risk prevention for high-risk genes, but also now whether or not polygenic risk can also contribute to those types of risk assessment processes and improve our ability to identify the people that we want to uh, offer more uh, targeted screening or targeted risk prevention to. You know, people living under the cloud of Leaf Almaney, it's, um, it's a tough life, I would say. It's hard for me to say what their lives are like, but I can imagine that living in, in and I know many of the families don't live in fear, but it's an umbrella that they live under. You know, the constant worries if a little lump comes up on their hand or they start feeling the pain in a certain part of their body. Um, it, it's a constant worry in the back of their heads. It's a constant life of being tested, you know, MRIs, you know, dealing with treatments, dealing with the next cancer coming along. And to live, live with that constantly, I can imagine is, um, you know, it can be quite dark at times and challenging. Michelle Brady continues her daughter Addie's legacy 
by supporting families and research into hereditary cancer syndromes like LFS. If I can help families going through it, then that's, that's only something positive that can come from losing, losing someone like Addie. Um, because she had such, a, you know, like I said, such zest for life. And I know, you know, for me going forward, she wants, a lot of people say to me, how do you cope? You know, how do you, how do you do this? Why do you do this? Um, and I do it because of Addie, simply because of that, because I know that she wouldn't want me to, you know, carry on through life just mourning her death. She'd want me to do something because of what happened to her. So if that's helping and supporting other families, um, then that, that's surely only a good thing. <laughs> This has been The Health Report. I'm Sarah Seggi. Norman Swan and Tegan Taylor will be back with you at the same time next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.